energy. So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now, I didn't tell him to do that. I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers is the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Almost a full show tonight. We're up until 645, and then it's high school basketball, Division II boys basketball quarters, Hartford at Montpelier, Brent Curtis on the call. we got a lot to get to in that 75 minutes. UVM men's hockey coach Todd Woodcroft is going to stop by at 605, and I think I'm going to try to keep him longer than I usually do. I want to talk to him about his program, and they had a big win last night against UNH. But I also want to talk to him about a lot of the NHL stuff, right? Today is the trade deadline. Bruins made a couple of moves yesterday. I want to talk with him about the landscape around the NHL. So we'll see if we can keep Todd on for a little bit longer. So he'll be with, be with us here at 6.05. Information on UVM men's basketball. Oh, the awards came out for the America East Conference. I'll tell you where I was right and where I was wrong. Hint, I was right about just about everything that I thought there. And some interesting kind of gossip on the Patriots as well. You can get on in Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line 802-585-3026. You are locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville, of course. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. And the opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I am going to give you, the listeners, a second chance. I was a little harsh yesterday, I think. I went home yesterday, and I felt like I was a little harsh. I talked about hockey yesterday. And nobody texted until I complained, and I felt like I was a little harsh. So I'm going to give you all a second chance today. I'm going to start the show talking about hockey once again. I watched a lot of Bruin Sabres yesterday. I'm getting into my hockey mode here on March 3rd. I'm going to start the show with hockey talk. You get on in, 802-585-3026. But I promise you this, if we don't get any text today, on hockey, in this segment, I'm done until the playoffs. That is my deal to you. I was I was harsh yesterday on you hockey fans that didn't get in. I will give you another chance today. And if you don't get in today, then I am done until the playoffs. I'm done for the next month talking hockey. Right? We're going to talk Mac Jones every day if you don't want to get in today on hockey. I have this question about the Boston Bruins. I wonder, as we get into the playoffs, how much external pressure this team will face and how much external pressure this team will feel. That's my question. 802-585-3026. The Bruins are awesome. We know that. 
They're 48-8-5 on the season. They're the fastest team ever to 100 points. They now have 101 after winning 7-1 last night against Buffalo. Their head coach, Jim Montgomery, knows how special this run is. Oh, it feels great to be a part of this hockey club and this group of young men that uh, play incredible hockey with and without the puck and are really committed to getting better every day. It's just, it's just been an incredible run. It has been a great run. It's been a great ride. It's been a magical season. But I ask you this. How much external pressure is on the Bruins as a result of how great they've been? 802-585-3026. And I will be honest with you. I don't think the external pressure on this team is going to be that great. And I might be naive and I might be stupid. But I don't think that this team is going to have a huge amount of external pressure. At least that's going to affect them. Yes, they're chasing history. Yes, they're going to go in to the playoffs with a huge amount of points. Maybe the most points ever. But I don't think that's where the pressure on this team is going to come from. For me, the Bruins' biggest pressure, their most pressure, is going to be internal. That's what I think. I think internal pressure is going to be greater for this team than external pressure. And that internal pressure comes from this. The realization that this could be the last ride. The realization that this could be your last chance. And we have said that for the last couple of years now, and the Bruins have kept prolonging that last chance. But Tuka's gone. Chara's gone. We don't know what the future holds for Krejci and for Bergeron and just how long these guys want to keep coming back. And if they do keep coming back, there's no assurance that as they get older that they're still going to remain this good. People will talk about, oh, the Bruins had a historic season and they they, they, they got to win the cup or it was all for naught. Yeah, that's going to get said. But to me, the biggest pressure on this team comes from the internal realization that this might be it. This could be your last best chance with this group, with this core. It's very possible that it is. Now, we've thought that in the past, and they have extended it. But I don't know if you can do this again, if you can put yourself in this position again. So the a lot of people will want to talk about records and history and point totals, that, to me, is not what is going to motivate this team. What's going to motivate this team, what's going to put the pressure on this team is the idea that we that, that this might be it. That this might be it. Brady, Phil says, I'd much rather hear about the Bruins than endless UVM men's basketball. I like UVM men's basketball. And I get a lot more text on UVM men's basketball than I do on the Bruins. Uh, Rick in Berlin says, keep talking hockey, Brady. Faithful listener, diehard Bees fans. I agree with you as usual. They are too locked into the system, and they have too much talent and leadership. Go Bees. Uh, Scott and South Heroes says the Bees season has been incredible, but they have all the pressure on them to win the Cup. Go Rangers. That's Scott oh, in North Hero. Excuse me. See, I disagree with that. Like, again, I, I'm not numb to the fact. There will be pressure based on them being the number one seed and based on them having the most points. That is always going to happen. But I think the team that the, the thing that's really going to drive this team, the thing that's really going to get this team kind of in knots, 
is the idea that this could be it, that this could be one last chance. This could be your one great chance. And I, I'm, again, I might be stupid, but I don't think I really recall this dynamic for the other historic teams that have been through it my lifetime. It felt like for the other historic teams in my lifetime, there was that external pressure. For the Bruins, I see it more as internal pressure. Like, I'm thinking back, my Mariners, 2001, right? There was a lot. They won 116 games. There was external pressure there. The 114, when Yankees won the World Series, how do you follow that up? External pressure in that. The organization had just let Alex Rodriguez go, and now you got to prove that you know you could be better without him. You can win without him. External pressure in that the organization had never been to the World Series before, and was this going to be their first? External pressure in that even as good as they were, they still had to get past the Yankees, who had beaten them the year before and had won the World Series the year before in the Subway Series. To me, the 2001 Mariners had a ton of pressure going into those playoffs, and that pressure was from the outside. And I think that that pressure wilted them, and the Yankees rolled them in the, in the ALCS after Cleveland nearly beat them in the ALDS. I thought those Mariners, historic Mariners, had pressure from the outside that got to them. I don't see that from the Bruins. I think the what the Warriors team did 73 and 9, right? They broke the all-time wins record held by Michael and the Bulls from 95-96. That's external pressure. When you are trying to chase something and beat something involving Michael Jordan, there's external pressure. Right? Everybody's talking about could this team beat those Bulls? Can this team have a better record than those Bulls? Those Bulls won the title. Can Steph be as good as Michael? There's a lot of outside noise around that Warriors team. I don't see that with this Bruins team. The Patriots, who were 18-0 and are going for the unbeaten season, they're looking to do something in 2007 that nobody in NFL history had ever done, which is win 19 games in a season. Go unbeaten through the whole thing. They had the best offense in the league. Again, they were historic. I felt like they had outside pressure on them. I just don't see the outside pressure on the Bruins. You look at it, the team, the Bruins, if they do have the most points in NHL history, the team they'll pass is a Canadians team from 50 years ago. Right? So we're not comparing. You know, I, I, I can't compare this Bruins team to that Canadians team. I'm not holding them up to that Canadians team standard in the way the Mariners were held up to the 98 Yankees or the way that the, 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 uh, uh, Warriors were held up to the Jordan Bulls. 50 years ago was the Canadians team we're talking about comparing the Bruins to. I just don't see it. Now, maybe you as a Bruins fan, there a lot of you are, more, are bigger Bruins fans than me. Maybe you will hold their feet to the fire and say, if you have this good a season, you better finish it off. But to me, the pressure comes from within. Because if I'm looking in the locker room, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I'm going to play with that guy again. I don't know if I'm going to play with that guy again. And even if I do, I don't know that that guy's going to be what that guy is this year. And I think that could be a hell of a motivating factor, but it can also bring some weight on you. 802-585-3026. Texter says, Bruins are red hot right now, but amazing Boston teams often tragically choke in the end game. I agree they have internal pressure. Maybe they'll put pressure on themselves to justify their season, but this group to me doesn't feel that way. And look, this team, this group, their core, their leadership has accomplished a lot. Marshawn's won a cup. Bergeron's won a cup. 
Their leaders have won the Stanley Cup. Most of this core has been to the Stanley Cup Finals, right? DeBrusque has been to the Stanley Cup Finals when they lost to St. Louis. Pasternak has been to the Stanley Cup Finals when they lost to St. Louis. I think Charlie Coyle was on that team still. So this team has, some of this team has won a cup. Other members of this team have been to the cup. So I don't think they're going to be intimidated by the moment. The other thing this team has is like they don't have a nemesis that's constantly stood in their way, which brings pressure, right? The Lightning have been to three consecutive finals. But the Lightning only vanquished the Bruins once. It's not like the Bruins have been sitting here saying, we got a great season, but can we get past the Lightning? That That's not really a dynamic for them either. So I think all the things that usually can railroad a team, I don't think they're really factors here. I think the internal stuff is what's going to get to the Bs. Text says, uh, I felt John and Moncton, let's see, uh, I'm a hockey fan. I don't complain about the show. I can't always text because I listen in the car. I like the variety of topics some more than others. We were having fun yesterday, John, but I am happy to see this, right? Like, and I'll be straight with you. I'll just be, we'll just call a spade a spade. Hockey is is my least favorite sport of the four major sports, right? It is the least. It is my least. I didn't grow up playing it. I didn't grow up watching it. The Mighty Ducks movies were my biggest exposure to it, right? I did not grow up watching hockey. I didn't even start watching hockey until I got to college and started broadcasting hockey and had to learn it on the fly. So I personally could go the entire season without ever mentioning the Bruins. And that's just the truth. But I know that we have a lot of listeners out there that do love it and do clamor for it. So I feel like if I am going to go out of my comfort zone to try to learn the game, watch the game, follow the game, have the rosters, pull the sound bites, if I'm going to go out of my comfort zone, I want to know that you guys are responding to it. So that's why yesterday I was like, where is everybody? Is this all for not? I'm glad today the texts are rolling in. I appreciate that because my hockey knowledge is not on the level of a lot of your hockey knowledge. If that's just a fact, I used to think that I had to know everything about sports to do this job. Now I just like to be honest with you. I do not know everything about the NHL. You want to ask me the third line center on the Florida Panthers? Couldn't tell you. Fourth line D man, one of the D men on Winnipeg. Couldn't tell you. Could I tell you the backup second baseman for the Kansas City Royals? Yeah, by about May 1st, I will be able to. Baseball is my wheelhouse. Football and basketball are right there, too. Hockey's way down the list. So I'm going to go and try my best to get on your level as we get towards the playoffs, and we're going to talk about it more and more. I'm glad you people are responding to it. So much appreciated. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. UVM men's basketball is in my wheelhouse as well. Sorry to fill in middle sex. The awards came out from the America East Conference. I got to tell you, your boy was pretty dead on in his predictions. We'll tell you what happened next on DEV. 26. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Texter says, Brady, hockey is the greatest sport of all sports. Fast-paced and exciting, not a dull moment. Playoff hockey can't be beat. And let me say this. That's true. Playoff hockey's great. But 
I've all I don't want to be a hypocrite. I am a judgmental fan. Right? I judge the way that other people are fans. And it's one of my worst qualities. And I don't like it, but I can't help it. If you are not a fan the way I am a fan, I get very bothered, right? Because I'm all in. I'm a diehard. I hate, hate when somebody who hasn't watched baseball all season shows up in October and tries to tell me about my sport. That bothers the hell out of me. I hate when somebody who hadn't watched football all year shows up at the Super Bowl party and tries to talk with me about the nuances of the game. Leave me alone. You didn't watch all year. I don't want your opinion. I don't want to be that guy. Right? So I get it. Playoff hockey is great. But if I haven't watched all season, I don't feel like I've earned the right to watch playoff hockey and to be invested in it. I, I just, I've always felt that way. And if I didn't watch it all season and I can't tell you most of the players on the ice, well, then I, don't, I, re- I just don't want to be that guy. Now, my hockey knowledge is better than that, right? Ever since I got in this business, I've been following hockey casually. I just don't talk about it all the time. But I'll watch games here and there. I'll follow the storylines. I just am not as invested in it as a lot of you guys. Again, my hockey knowledge is better than the guy who just shows up at the Super Bowl party without watching a game all year. But my point is is that I've just I've never liked to be the guy who just hops on the bandwagon come April 1st. I like to talk about, you know, I like to just be invested in things, and I've never been invested in hockey really as a fan. Now, I do love talking with Todd Woodcroft, the UVM men's hockey coach, and I've got a lot of stuff for him. He's going to join us in 15 minutes or so. I want to get to this. America East Conference Awards came out today for uh, men's basketball, and I was pretty dead on in my predictions. I, I'm, I, I don't mean to be a jerk here, but I'm going to pat myself on the back on this one because I got asked last night, who I thought was going to win the various awards. I did pretty darn well. Most importantly, as we've been saying for weeks, Finn Sullivan, UVM men's basketball player, has won conference player of the year. Congratulations in order for Finn Sullivan, conference player of the year. That is what I'm talking about. I am so jacked up about this because this is the seventh consecutive year that a catamount has won this award. Two times for Trey Bell Haynes, two times for Anthony Lamb, two times for Ryan Davis, and now one time for Finn Finn Sullivan. He won the award. He earned the award. He deserved the award, and the league's coaches got it right. We've been saying it for weeks. I want to give Brian McLaughlin, Brian McLaughlin, UVM broadcaster credit. It was one month ago today that he first brought up the idea of Finn Sullivan being player of the year to us. And from that point forward, Finn started to play great and we got on board as well. So for about three weeks, we've been telling you he deserved this award. He did deserve it and he won it. He was the best offensive player on the league's best team. He propelled his team to a new level offensively. He's a driving force behind this team, winning 12 consecutive games inside league play and getting the number one seed. And he's put up numbers that are consistent with or better than what the best players in the league have done in recent memory. Finn Sullivan, player of the year. He averaged 16 points per game in league play. That's great. But what's also great He scored 20 points or more six times in conference play. That is what players of the year do. Finn Sullivan did it. 16-game league season, Finn Sullivan had had 20 points or more six times. 
That is what league players of the year do. I went back and looked. Last year, Ryan Davis had five 20-plus games. And he had 18 league games to do it. Finn Sullivan only had 16, right? There was 18 games last year in the league because there was an extra team. So last year, Ryan Davis, player of the year, gets five 20-plus point games. Finn Sullivan this year has six. The year before when Davis wins it, he had six 20-plus point games. COVID year, only 14 games, so good on Davis. But six for Davis, six for Finn. Anthony Lamb, who's in the NBA, had six 20-point Six 20-plus point games his senior year. Finn Sullivan had six. Lamb had eight his junior year. But by and large, Finn Sullivan is consistent with what the players of the year in this league accomplish. He deserved the award. He had 29 points in a game. He had 28 points in a game. That's rare in this league. And I'm glad the coaches recognize that. And I am glad that Finn Sullivan won the award. That's a hell of an accomplishment. And one of the things that is most impressive to me is that this year, Finn Sullivan didn't fade down the stretch. Finn Sullivan got stronger down the stretch, right? Last year, as a junior or, you know, as a senior, but as a a first-year player for Vermont, Finn Sullivan faded down the stretch. He had a couple of really good games early in the year. But he only got double figures once in his final eight games last season. Double figures, not 20 points, double figures. You go down the last eight games last year for Finn Sullivan, it was a lot of two, four, six, two, two, four. Like, that was his end of the year last year. This year, he ascended at the end of the season. He had 19 points or more in seven of his final 11 games. And the last two, he didn't even have to play that much because of the, the the conference was rolled was uh locked up already so he didn't play that much he could have had it more but just awesome stuff this team got a great got great performances from Finn Sullivan he deserved the conference player of the year I'm jacked up for him and can't wait for the quarterfinals tomorrow night UVM NJIT tomorrow night Patrick Jim I'm looking forward to being at that game looking forward to watching it hopefully seeing some of you uh, elsewhere in Catamount Country on the awards front, Aaron Deloney got the sixth man of the year award for the second consecutive season. That is a no-brainer decision as well. Deloney averaged 11.5 points per game. I think it was 11.3, but, you know, whatever. It's close to 11.5. 11.3 points per game in league play. Yeah, he had some inconsistencies, especially early in the league season, but He is a true difference maker, and I'm glad the coaching staffs of the conference teams recognize that, that he's a difference maker in a way that nobody else is off the bench. Most other teams don't have enough depth to have their sixth man be a great player like Vermont does, but Deloney is, and he can do really special things. Even with his inconsistencies early, he still scored double figures in 10 of 16 games. And he's going right back down to the low block. Finds Deloney, open for three. It's good. I mean, Deloney can absolutely light it up. And like I said the other day, if Aaron Deloney plays well, it totally changes the calculus of this team. The ceiling on this team is so much higher when Aaron Deloney is playing really well. 
I saw him on opening night have 32 against Brown in person. I saw him last week, or I saw him this week on Tuesday against Albany in person have 18. When he is putting up 15 to 18 points and he's going four of five from three and five of seven from three, there is nobody that can stop him. And this team is so much better when he's a huge part of the offense and when he is rolling. I love watching Deloney play when he gets going. He deserved the award. Good recognition for him, and I'm glad he got it for a second consecutive year. TJ Hurley was on the all-rookie team. No surprise there. Dylan Penn, our guy, is on the second team. Matt Verretto on the all-academic team. People are complaining John Becker did not get coach of the year. I predicted that he wouldn't. That went to Pat Duquette of UMass Lowell, which is exactly who I thought it would go to. People are mad about this because Becker did a great job this year. right? People have said that this is John Becker's best coaching job, and I'm not here to debate that. This is a great coaching job by him. They start out 1-5. They're 2-7 at one point. They're 1-2 inside league play. Bunch of moving parts, bunch of new players, guys in and out of the lineup, and Becker gets them together to win 12 straight down the road or down the uh, down the stretch. That's a pretty impressive coaching job. But I guarantee you the voters had UVM and John Becker fatigue. He's won it a bunch of times. They wanted to give it to somebody else, so they gave it to Pat Duquette, who had coached a team that had been at the bottom for most of the last five years. This year they finished second. They went 15-0 and at home, so... You kind of knew that John Becker wasn't going to win it this year. They wanted to give it to somebody else. So it doesn't surprise me. Just because Becker doesn't have the award doesn't mean to me that he was not a great coach. I would rather Finn Sullivan have the Player of the Year award than Becker have the Coach of the Year award. So I can live with it. Uh, Tex says, I moved to Vermont in 1993 and that's when the UVM women had great teams good to see them on top again it is good to see them on top again I know that you know Kathy Ingalls was the coach of UVM back in the day um you know back in the day and they were excellent and now they're here they are the number one seed again and hoping to see them on a Sunday at one win and get to the uh the America East finals which would be against either Albany or Maine so that would be a great final if we have it at Patrick Jim, but uh, we've got to get through UMBC first. Mark in Essex, you got it right. Don't agree that Finn was the player of the year. First team, he thinks. He thinks Robin Duncan should be on the second team. Deloney and Hurley dead on. Uh, I disagree. I think Finn Sullivan's the player of the year. 20 points, six times or more, consistent with what league players of the year do. Best team. Best offensive player on the best team. When he started taking off, the team started taking off. That that's that's all it takes to me. Right? That's what it takes to me to be the player of the year. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Let me know if you are going to UVM Hoops Games this weekend, men or women. I will be there again both days. So look forward to seeing all of you. Uh UVM men's hockey coach Todd Woodcroft on with us next, talking about his team, but also the landscape around the NHL. I got a lot for Coach Woodcroft. Brady Farkas show now has an interactive text line, so reach out now at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio. Dot com. Get a chance here in a moment to talk with UVM men's hockey coach Todd Woodcroft. Catamounts had a big win last night. I understand that UVM is in last place right now in Hockey East. And we focus so much on the UVM women's hockey team and women's basketball and men's basketball that some of you haven't paid as much attention to the UVM men's hockey team. But their regular season is not over yet. Catamounts get the win yesterday over UNH. Final score 3-2. In doing so, get their 10th win of the season. And then they will wrap up the regular season tomorrow night on the road at Merrimack. And then it's off to the Hockey East playoffs, which despite being in last place, they will be a part of. Todd Woodcroft is our friend. He's always gracious with his time with us. And he joins us now here on the phone line. Todd, thank you for being with us somewhere at a uh, hotel, I believe. How are you? I appreciate it, Brady, for being here. I'm doing really well. It's uh, it's nice when you get a, a win like that. The fatigue that sometimes comes after you you come really close, but you don't win it. It seems to be gone after a victory like that where you come from behind. So the bus ride was really fun. The guys were buzzing. It was nice to uh, to take a bus ride up to Merrimack and get ready for tomorrow. This has been a theme for you guys kind of in the last couple of weeks, the ability to come back, the ability to be resilient. I think it was against UMass, maybe around 3 nothing, came back and played that game to a tie, if I remember correctly. So uh, certainly resilience is a quality this team has. Yeah, they, they this this team under the direction of the leadership group of players we have here, and there's about nine or ten of them, and some of them are the underclassmen as well. They they, they figured out that hockey really isn't – it's not really in the past. It, it isn't yesterday, right? It's not the shift that you just took or the period that you just had. Last night we had a really poor first period. It's always about what's next, you know, the next period. You're, the next line that comes up, the next shift that's coming, the next goal that gets scored, even the next game or next week or next practice, next season, the next generation of catamounts. So we're, we're rooted in the future. Um, it takes a certain amount of mental agility for these players to be able to do that, to be able to be down to nothing in the first period against a really good team like UNH or to be down, as you referenced, to UMass, a recent national champion team, down 3 nothing two games in a row and to come back and to tie those up when we were, you know, we were really shorthanded on bodies that weekend. So they've done some amazing things um, this year. What I've liked the best about them, Brady, is that they seem to have figured out that, that you can evolve as a team, even inside of a game, right? And when you find a, a bug in your computer, you, the whole system needs to get an upgrade and, and they, they figure out where that, uh, bug is in their game and and they put the team through a car wash sometimes inside the <laughs> game and uh, they've had some really good success from that we're, we're, we're as a coaching staff we're really proud of that you know we look at the standings we look at the record and okay it's not necessarily what somebody would want but you, then you look deeper and you go okay 10 wins last night that was your 10th win that's the most wins for this program since 2018 2019 so there clearly is a progression going on an evolution and a growth going on where do you feel this program is on that road of growth? I think the first thing that we looked at was uh, trying to trying to make sure the culture was right. You know, we wanted to have a no mistake twice culture and no shortcut culture, right? We've been pretty clear with everybody uh, about where we are. Everybody can have a plan, but but sometimes the plan it can go sideways. Things happen. Maybe there's a pandemic, or maybe you have players. Uh, that go get poached by other teams, whatever it might be, 
Um, but but that's okay. Like it, it's all part of the big picture. I am happy with where we are. Do I want to have 19 wins? Of course I want to have 19 wins, but we're realistic with our, our goals here, right? Like we're trying to find balance in our game. We're trying to find players uh, who want to be here, who want to be catamount. There's a ton of really good recruits out there. And maybe for some recruits, they can't imagine playing here. For others, and those are the ones we want, they're the ones who can't imagine being anywhere else, right? But they're going to know there's a, there's a there's a price of admission to play and go to school at UVM. There's we we call them tolls. You have to be willing to learn, willing to work. You have to appreciate everything you get. You have to be ready to be prepared and to be coached hard. You have to be a really good citizen in the community. You have to take academics uh, as paramount to everything else. So those are the guys that we're trying to find. It, it's it's not easy, but if it was easy, everybody would do it. So we're really excited with the way the team's going. We, we've uh, our our underclassmen, our freshmen and sophomores, and um, you know some of our third years who the first year they didn't the juniors they didn't really get a, a real college uh, experience with only playing the eleven games. Those guys are driving it with the offense, and our seniors and and grad transfers they're settling everybody down like it, it's a very very good strong lock lock room and Jacques Bucot and all the captains have have been amazing here Todd Woodcroft UVM men's hockey coach with us here in the Brady Farkas show WDEV AM and FM WDEV radio.com I want to get to some NHL stuff with you um you know trade deadline is today Bruins have gone crazy with some things I want to talk about that but I want to wrap up kind of the talk on your team was kind of a philosophical hockey coaching question so yesterday I was talking with Cam Ellsworth who's the coach at Norwich right and they got beat in the New England Hockey Conference semifinals last week for nothing by Babson an uncharacteristic blowout loss for the cadets and I asked him you know what happened and he said I really wasn't mad with how we played you know, we lost for nothing, but I really wasn't mad. I looked at the film. I wasn't upset. I thought we played well. They just scored and we didn't. I'm kind of curious when you go through games, how often does that happen? Like how often do you just say that's hockey as opposed to being upset with how a team played? I, I, I love the fact that Cam was honest, right? Like it's, you can have an honest appraisal of your team after a performance and say, sometimes losing is just a score. Failure is different. If you failed to compete, sometimes you hit four crossbars and it could have been a four-four game. I, I didn't see the game; I saw the score. Yeah. But you know, it, it's you, you have to set realistic goals. Is your team going to be a national championship team? Are you going to be a hockey East championship team? Or are you a team that you think can drive through it and and get there now? Where are you in the ecosystem of the league that you play in? For Cam's team, they're a really good team, very very well coached. They lose against a powerhouse at Babson, who's an offensive juggernaut. It must have been one of those games where it just didn't fall their way. But he was pleased with their performance. A coach's job really is to prepare the team to play. We're there for about 85% of the game is the structure. Hopefully, the way you prepare your team, your 85% is better than the 85% of the other team. The 15%, that's the, the skill. That's the coming down on a two-on-one and making a play and and scoring a goal or if it's two on one against and your goalie makes a fantastic save the goalie the other night for uh for babson th that goalie might add a career night we've ran into a couple of those guys we hung you know 45 shots uh, plus on a couple of teams this year and and just couldn't get it done so i felt the same way that that uh that cam has and i know there's a many coaches across every single sport that feel the same way 
Well, let me move to the NHL stuff here. And I was having this conversation earlier in the week with a couple of different people. And I just want your NHL perspective. You know, w- the conversation around the NBA is dominated right now on the term load management. Guys taking time off, guys missing games, et cetera. Why is that not a thing in the NHL? It's the same length of season. It's the same amount of games as the NBA. Is it just as simple as, oh, they're hockey players or shorter shifts? You're only playing 20 minutes a night as opposed to an NBA player that's playing 40 minutes a night. What's the reason load management is not a thing in the NHL? Well, I I think you know me well enough, Brady. I'm not really contrary by nature, but I'm going to disagree with you here. And I say that, that a lot of teams do consider that like hockey and basketball, uh, there are a lot of similarities in the game. They're both, but they're both like fast break sports. They're both transition from offense to defense, defense to offense. They're both games of invasion. You're trying to invade the space of your opponents. You're trying to change the shape of the other opponents. You know, group of five. Uh, the difference between basketball and hockey is you don't have somebody who's trying to jam a stick in your face or to put you up against a glass and blow you up with a big body check, and and you're not moving. Uh, as fast as you are in hockey and an unnatural sport where you're on four edges, right? You know, Mm -hmm. your inside edge and your outside edge on both your skates. So uh, it is a bit different there. The the physical toll on a hockey player to me is similar to an NFL player, except it's a constant motion. NFL is a series of 15 or 20 second or three or four second intervals. Hockey is up and down and up and down and so much more physical. So I, my experience has always been that you do consider load management. You do consider minutes. The first thing I look at in between periods when I come in between is the minutes played on our players. So the load distribution might happen in game. It might mm-hmm. be, for example, for the Bruins, they might say, hey, how much has Pasternak had this? Okay, we're going into the third period. We're up for nothing. Can we dial his minutes back so we can prepare for the next opponent? Or can he eat more minutes? Or even if it's a specialty team game and the you know who who's taken so many minutes they haven't had a penalty kill rotation or who hasn't got into the game it happened to us last night actually i had to walk down to one of our players in the team and say when was your last rotation here because there was a couple power plays and penalty kills and then whistles and media timeouts and you know you're trying to get matchups so it, it, it there is load management it happens often with goalies specifically mm-hmm. in the nhl a lot of times head coaches will go to their goalies and say Here's the month. Let's look at your schedule. Which, which games do we want you to be in? And you actually have the honest conversation with the players themselves. Bruins acquired Tyler Bertuzzi yesterday from the uh, Red Wings for a future first-round pick, 2024 first-round pick, and also a fourth-round pick. But I have always tended to be a guy that does not like giving up first-round picks for rental players, which Bertuzzi is. I've always been that guy. But in this case, I love it because the Bruins have a serious chance at winning the Stanley Cup, and I'd rather be in the now than in the future. But I'm curious, as someone who's been in the NHL, how are first-round picks valued? How, how are they seen? For First-round picks are, are your future, right? Like you, 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 your whole... Uh, your whole system is is based on the future. It's not just the now, but there is an aspect of, can we win in this short competitive window? What Tyler brings, and I've watched Tyler play since he was in in Guelph and all the way through Grand Rapids and into the NHL. What he brings is is a specific element. I think what happens is the teams get into an almost arms race. What did Tampa just do with Janot? So we have to make sure we manage that, you know, 
what is uh, what is Toronto doing? You know, what the teams that they feel they're going to have to go through. Carolina, for example, they, the Rangers. They, the Rangers are they're a wagon right now. Those guys, right? Like, and they've just loaded up. And and I think you have to look at that and say, what do we need to do to win the three skirmishes before we get to the big battle in the fourth round? How do we get through the skirmishes before we have the chance to earn the right to play for the Stanley Cup? So. First round draft picks are massive. That is your six, seven years down the road, five, six, seven years down the road. But I think obviously with Don Sweeney, who's done an amazing job, I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for what he's done there. Along with Jim Montgomery, they, they're figuring out that their competitive window is right now. Bruins go and sign Pasternak to an eight-year deal, $11.25 million. He makes them a top-five paid player in the NHL. To me, this is a huge deal, right? It's great news to keep a great player around. You're always going to have a cornerstone player. You're always going to have a star. And the money doesn't seem that bad because the cap goes up every year. So in three or four years, we'll probably be looking at this and saying it's a bargain, I would assume. Um, How big a deal is it for them to keep Pasternak in the fold and shut down the conversation about his future ahead of the playoffs? Well, it's very similar to your contract and my contract. I mean, we're, we're, we're right about there. You know, I, I don't think we had the extra point uh, two five in the eleven million or whatever yeah. it was. But I, I, what, what what you get there is you have uh, somebody who you want to be a long term, lifelong Bruin, which I think Boston Bruins do better than most teams. They have guys that their careers are with one team. Marshawn's going nowhere. Bergeron's going nowhere. Pasternak's going nowhere. Krejci. The guys that are their glue core players, they lock them up. That's the reality of the salary cap world right now. You have to identify your players. The players have a lot of leverage when they get to their UFA status. Pasternak has done one thing. He's performed. So he has a history of performing ever since he's arrived into a Bruins uniform. I, I remember watching him play in Sertalia, Sweden as a young player, and he was the exact same player that he is now he was a performer he's a finisher he does something that 99 percent of the rest of the nhl can't do he can score you can teach people to check you can teach people to be smart defensively maybe but you can't teach them how to score and he, he does have that ability so I, I thought that was a really shrewd shrewd idea by don sweeney to lock him up i don't think he had much choice i think all the fans they love him <laughs> Another guy who can score is Connor McDavid, right? We just saw him get his 100th point last week against the Bruins, actually, in the game the Bruins won. Your brother Jay is the head coach of Edmonton. They're having a pretty good season with the Oilers. Are we going to see the uh, the Oilers? Right now, all the focus is on the Eastern Conference. Yeah. So the West is kind of going a little more unnoticed. What do we think about the Oilers' chances and maybe a Bruins-Oilers uh, Stanley Cup final? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be jacked up because I could drive to the games. Yeah, you know? it's, uh, it'd only be better if it was Montreal for me. So the the East to me is like the old WWF Royal Rumbles. You know what I mean? You got King Kong Bundy in there and you got Paul Orndorff in there and you got, you know, Mr. Fuji and, and Andre the Giant. All these guys are all in there uh, you know, with Toronto and Carolina and Rangers and Tampa and, and all all the teams you could go up and down the list. They're all, They're really good. But the West is not sleepy. Right. It used to be that the West was always the heavy, heavy uh, conference, right? It's it's gone the other way a little bit now. Um, I think Edmonton's really, really good team. I got to watch him play live in Montreal uh, a couple weeks ago, and he is a generational player. And I think people say that a little easily. Um, having, well, I've seen him live a few times, but he he's it's almost like you have a remote controller, and he's doing things that aren't 
physically possible. He's mm. de he's defying physics with the way he plays. I actually feel fortunate to have seen him play. Like wow. it, it's it's a special special a special thing. He he is he's an amazing player. But now they've they've I've dry saddled to me as a top ten player in the world and. They went out and they got Ekholm, who's a big Swedish defenseman, who's great. Darnell Nurse is going to be a, a big piece of that going forward. I think their goaltending looks pretty good right now, and, and they got two capable guys. So that, it's going to be an interesting thing that the West will be into Colorado. We can never forget Colorado. Like they're they're doing great. Dallas is a great team. Vegas is a good team. I mean, LA is playing really, really well. So. Todd, I know you're a big fan of all UVM sports. I'm going to be out at Patrick Gym this weekend, I think, watching the UVM men's basketball team and then the UVM women on Sunday. Will I see you in attendance at these things? Well, not Saturday because you're going to be playing against yeah. Merrimack. But Sunday, will I see you at the UVM will, women's you game? Will, you will be seeing me there. I've been to a couple games lately, and I love it. And and just the success that they've had, that women's hockey team has had lately, like it's, it's, it's awesome to see like how many – uh, championships these guys have won and what John's done with his team and what Elise has done with her team. Like this is, this is, I think that's the first time in maybe in history. I can't remember that they've had two number one uh, America East. Uh, it might've happened before. I can't remember. It's long before my time, but it's whatever, whatever it's, it's a huge accomplishment, right? Like the swimming and diving team has been so successful this year. And now we're going into track season and it's, it's a, it's, it's really, really, really cool. I can't remember about the seedings, but 2010 was the only time they've both made the NCAA tournament in the same year. Right. So we're going for a repeat of that. Hey, last summer, I was palling around with you and some of the uh, UVM hockey dignitaries at the Vermont Hockey Summit, the Vermont Coaching Hockey Summit. I know you're yeah. going to run that back again this year, right? Yeah, I don't, dignitaries might be the wrong word there, but uh, <laughs> you know, we we uh, we thought it would be a great idea. The staff thought it would be a really good idea just to help out with uh, youth coaching. And, and what started out as a pretty small kernel of an idea steamrolled into uh, we had 90 coaches from three countries and seven states and i think two or three canadian provinces and and wow. uh it was you know it was all for free handy toyota who is the maybe the best community sponsor i've seen around took care of everything so it was totally free for everyone we brought in coaches from the nhl we brought in you know women officials women coaches from all over uh, the pro as pro sphere we had uh, college hockey coaches so we're doing yes we are doing it again this year we really hope you can join us again brady you did a heck of a job i'll here. be there all right, that's good to know. So it's August 26th. We'll have a whole whack of uh, information coming out uh, after our playoff run. August 26th seems so far away, but here we are. We're almost in spring. So it's yeah, we've already got. Far. It's funny we've already got registrations going. So it's uh, <laughs> it's an interesting one. Catamount men's hockey team wraps up the regular season tomorrow night on the road at Merrimack and playing for some seeding potentially here for the playoffs in that game. And then the hockey's playoffs will begin soon after. We'll be following the Catamounts run the entire way. Todd, we appreciate it as always. Best of luck tomorrow. Glad you're going to avoid the snow for the most part. And uh, we'll see you when you get back on Sunday. Have a good rest of the day, Brady. Thank you. I will do just that. Todd Woodcroft is the man. I mentioned earlier in the show, like I could go all season without talking about hockey. Uh, it really means the NHL. I love talking to Todd Woodcroft. Like, to me, and I had somebody tell this to me. To me, Todd Woodcroft is like, sit in my car to keep listening what he's saying good. Like, his experience, his delivery, his stories, they are worth staying in the car for. I think Todd Woodcroft is one of the best guests we have. Good stuff there on the program. I get 10 wins and last place. Doesn't seem great. 
10 wins is the most wins for this program since 2018-19. Four years. So there is a growth going on. Todd Woodcroft, I believe, is the guy to get UVM hockey back to some degree of national relevance. And then hopefully, to his point, you know, hopefully championship relevance. But you got to get there first. And I think Todd Woodcroft is the guy. Great to talk about his program. They have battled through a lot this year, right? As, as the record has gotten worse, I know we haven't talked with Todd in a while, but They've had a ton of injuries this year. They've been out a ton of their leadership group, a ton of their best players, and they've continued to grind. They've continued to battle. They've pulled out ties and gotten points when you didn't think they should get them. And yesterday, they come from behind, and they beat UNH on the road in a tough environment. That's a good win. And then the NHL stuff, I mean, nobody I know has NHL experience like Todd Woodcroft. Coached in the NHL for a number of years. His brother's a head coach. He knows the league. He knows the ins and outs, talking about the Bruins, talking about how much a first-round pick is actually worth. Um, I still think, despite what Todd said, I still think that giving up the first-round pick for Bertuzzi is the right move for the Bruins. Like, this this is the time, right? Like, this is the time to go for it. They're going for it, and I think that's the right move. So, it is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Very interesting report today out on the Patriots. The Patriots babied Mac Jones in 2022. What do we think of that? That's next here on DEV. This is former NFL wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson, and now we're back to the Brady Farkas Show on... WDEV Radio and WDEVRadio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Texter says, great interview with Todd Woodcroft. Keep bringing the hockey. Texter says, I am someone who likes to stay in my car to listen to Todd Woodcroft speak. Todd Woodcroft is the man. He absolutely is the man. I love interviewing him. I love talking with him. I've gotten a chance to meet him outside of radio on multiple occasions, and uh, he is a great guy to be around. So he certainly is a great person to be running the UVM men's hockey program. High school basketball comes up about 15 minutes from now. Boys D2 quarterfinal, Hartford at Montpelier. Brent Curtis is on the coverage. Very interesting story that came out today in The Athletic by Jeff Howe. And Jeff Howe is a national NFL writer, but Jeff Howe covered the Patriots for a number of years, so he certainly has contacts with the Patriots. He's got this nugget today. Bill Belichick instructed the coaching staff not to be too hard on Mac Jones last season. If Jones made a mistake or needed to be corrected, instead of yelling at him, the coaching staff generally took a more constructive approach. There is a lot there. Let me start here. It doesn't bother me if a quarterback, a young quarterback, is baby to a degree. It, that, that does not bother me. To a degree, right? You can't totally pamper a guy. You can't play favorites with a guy. You can't, you know, make sure that that guy's above the rest of the team. It doesn't bother me, though, if a young quarterback is pampered. I think so often young quarterbacks' confidence are totally shot, right? 
Quarterbacks are getting sacked. They're getting hit. They're throwing picks. The last thing you need is your coach dogging you on everything you do. So I think it's okay with a young quarterback to have a kinder and gentler approach. That said, Mac Jones is a guy who has told us he likes to be coached hard. So that is where my disconnect is. The one of the I've mentioned this before. One of the best pieces of information I ever got from a coach was the coach told me, Brady, some guys need a pat on the backside and some guys need a kick in the backside. You need to figure out what player is what, right? Which player responds to which. Mac Jones, I think, is a guy who likes to be kicked in the backside. He has told us that. Remember, he said, I want to be coached harder. We just got to go out there and do it together, and, and that starts in practice. It's, hey, I didn't do this right. You know, Call me out for it. Tell me that I'm wrong. And if you're a good leader, you can accept that, um, and you can – you can look at the other guy and say the same thing to him that he says to you. So Mac is saying, I want to be held accountable. He has said, I want to be coached hard. That is what I like. So if that is what Mac likes, if that is what Mac responds to, if that is what Mac wants, then why did the Patriots feel the need to not give it to him? That's what I'm wondering, right? Zach Wilson in New York. I think he's a guy who needs to be coddled, right? Play Playing terribly. He's in New York. The fans are on him. Radio's calling for his head. I think that guy needs a hug. So I don't have a problem with coaches identifying what their players need. But it doesn't sound like Mac Jones needs that. It doesn't sound like Mac Jones wants that. It doesn't sound like Mac Jones wants to be coddled. So why was he? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to know. Right? I think we can all understand when a young player is here taking him aside and, and giving him a hug and teaching him and coaching him rather than berating him. I think we all get that. But Mac Jones seems to like tough love. He wants to be called out. He wants to be held accountable. So I don't get why the Patriots felt the need to take a conservative approach with him. That's what I'm confused by. Now, to the other side of the coin, if you start babying your quarterback entirely, you start to rub some people the wrong way. Now, this is a different situation, but what do you think partly broke apart my Seahawks, right? The Legion of Boom Seahawks, the ones who threw the pass, Russell Wilson at the goal line, Malcolm Butler picked. Why do you think that team fractured so hard after that? In part because the defensive players on that team felt like Russell Wilson was being coddled, felt like he was being babied, felt like he wasn't being held to the same standard as they were, felt like he got away with murder in the eyes of Pete Carroll. Felt like he was never held accountable. It was always blamed on somebody else. It was always blamed on them. Now, that team is unique in that those were strong personalities on that defense. Those were veteran personalities on that defense. So they might take this harder than the Patriots were this year. But that is what you can create in a locker room if you start showing massive favoritism to your quarterback and really letting your quarterback off the hook. And I hope that that didn't become a thing in New England. 
It doesn't sound like it did. I didn't hear that tone from Devin McCourty or from Matthew Judon or from Jonathan Jones. I didn't. But that is the risk you run when you do that. 802-585-3026, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Uh, Oh, random text here. I like hearing about the Bruins and hockey, but have you ever heard that motocross and hockey have been compared because of the top-notch athleticism, endurance, and stamina they both require from start to finish? I consider them the two toughest sports. I I know about motocross. I've never heard it compared to hockey, and I've never really thought much about it. My old college roommate used to do it, so I, I know about some of the people in it, and I know people who have done it, but I had never really thought about motocross much before in my life. Anyways, back to the Patriots. How do you feel about this? Hearing that Mac Jones coddled by the coaching staff. Why would Bill Belichick feel the need to coddle him? Is it because he thinks Mac Jones is soft? My guess is it's more likely that Bill Belichick recognized that the coaching situation wasn't very good and that Mac needed his hand held through it. Like, Joe Judge and Matt Patricia are not the answer. I can't have them berating him when they're screwing up themselves. I think that's what this is. I think this is more of an admission by Bill Belichick that I didn't do a good job with the coaching staff. So since my coaches don't know what they're doing, I can't have them get on my quarterback for not knowing what he's doing. I think that's what this is really all about. That's really the thing to me. Um, All right. We've got three or four minutes left before high school basketball. A couple things. I want to wrap up with here on DEV. This one's about the Red Sox. Uh, Oh, you know what? Real quick. Actually, back to the Patriots for a second. Did you see Daniel Jones of the Giants is going to sign a new deal with the team? And it's going to be a about a $40 million a year deal. That is absurd. The Patriots can never pay Mac Jones that. Like, Mac Jones better be MVP caliber next year for me to give him $40 million a year. The Giants will regret that. Daniel Jones is good. He's not $40 million a year good. That is absurd. And the quarterback market is absurd. I know that. But before I pay somebody like Daniel Jones or Mac Jones $40 million a year, I'd rather go right back to the draft and try to draft somebody new, cheap, and do it all over again. I can Mac Jones to me is never going to look like a $40 million a year quarterback. And I can't have him eating up 16% of my salary cap to make that kind of money. If he's going to get $40 million a year in the future, he better be MVP caliber. And right now, I'm not seeing it. I am just not seeing it. Red Sox news and notes. James Paxton left his start today with an injury, hamstring injury. That's no good. Brian Bayo hurt. Garrett Whitlock hurt. Nick Pavetta had COVID for a while, and now you've got Paxton Hurt, and this is exactly what we feared with the Red Sox, that they have a fragile rotation, and here's where we're at. And now Chris Sale is going to make his first start, I think, on Monday in Grapefruit League action, and we're all going to hope that he stays healthy too. Not a good spot to be for the Red Sox. Kristen uh, Costas did homer today, though. That is good. Uh, Text says, above all, thank you for coverage on the Patriots. Thank you very much to the texter there. That's going to do it for us here on the 
Brady Farkas Show, full show podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. The show brought to you by Fecto Homes. High school basketball is coming up next. The D2 Boys Quarters, Hartford at Montpelier. Brent Curtis on the call live at the home of the Solons. That's next on DEV.